With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, and welcome to Radio Free Canada, news and notes from the underground. A very uh, funny comment on Twitter today, uh, referring to Jeff Bezos blasting into space yesterday morning on the anniversary of the Apollo 11 lunar landing, of course, July 20th, 1969. And this guy tweets, my father got to watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. I got to watch a billionaire who destroyed the bookstore blast off into outer space in a giant penis. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't have. Did you see the rocket, Jody? Did you see it? Didn't that look like Austin Powers, uh, Dr. Evil's rocket ship? Exactly. Yeah. Not quite the same. uh, What's the word? Majesty, shall we say, as the uh, Apollo 11 lunar landing. All right. What is it they say about nostalgia? Uh, It's not what it used to be. Uh, So I see the um, this is so rich. I love this. I see the ungrateful brats on the U.S. women's Olympic soccer team went down in flames in their very first match at the Olympics, losing three to nothing to Sweden. What's uh, I'm trying to remember lose uh, favorite German word schadenfreude schadenfreude. Yes, that's when you take delight in the pain of others. <laughs> Maybe schadenfreude's a little too harsh here, but uh, yes, apparently the woke ladies soccer squad in the U.S. have vowed to stop scoring goals until there's an end to racism. All right, coming up on uh, today's transmission, we'll uh, we'll take a look at the uh, at a recent Stats Canada study which confirmed our suspicions. Anyone who's really been paying attention knows this already, but now it's all being sort of collated in a an official Stats Canada report. And uh, it just came out, and they're coming out sort of in dribs and drabs. Uh, the majority of Canadians who died with COVID were over the age of 85. Again, for those of us paying attention who follow these things, not a surprise, but to some of you, maybe. 
you'll be shocked by this. Again, the majority of Canadians who died with COVID were over the age of 85. Now, keep in mind, the average life expectancy in Canada, 81. Now, not that this, you know, that the tragedy is, is, is diminished because of this. Obviously, every life is precious and we grieve Uh, you know, for the people who died, no matter what age. But the point is that these people had exceeded their life expectancy and the majority of them, again, had at least two underlying conditions. These people had dementia or Alzheimer's and were at high risk to have died during this, this period, I guess, April 2020 to June 2021. They were at high risk of dying during this period anyway. Tom Korski from Black Locks Reporter will be here to break down the report. And uh, after this recent flood in Germany and Belgium, which killed, I believe, uh, to date, about 200 people, there are st- still some missing. But right now, I think it's around 200 people that died during these uh, this massive flood, Germany, Belgium. And of course, now the, uh, the climate bedwetters are once again blaming this on man-made climate change. And they're warning, dire warnings, that more catastrophic floods like this will hit Europe and far more often. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com, will be here to, uh, well, no doubt, disabuse us of this notion. And we'll also talk to Tony about how global warming actually reduces deaths. According to um, Bjorn Lomborg, who is a, is he Swedish or Danish? Uh, anyway, he's a well-known environmentalist from one of those two countries. I think it's Sweden. And Bjorn uh, says that global warming, such as it is, saves as many as 100,000 people per year. Interesting. So Tony Heller will be here to discuss as we uh, push back against climate change alarmism on a Wednesday. Uh, North America's most ridiculous mayor, John Tory, and uh, I believe it was his his wife. They were enjoying dinner in Yorkville earlier this week. I'm not suggesting that the woman with him was, you know, that there was anything untowards. I'm just in the photograph. There was a, a female. I'm assuming it was his wife and not an executive assistant or something. That's all I'm saying. I'm not making any, you know, accusations here. Uh, anyway, uh, they were accosted by someone with a phone camera who was sort of a self-proclaimed citizen's journalist. And they started, you know, in a rather aggressive manner, asking all of these questions uh, of the mayor. How do you sleep at night knowing all the businesses you've destroyed and so on, not even allowing uh, Tory to, to respond and just, you know, kind of like one after the other. How can you sleep at night knowing the lives and the children and yada, yada, yada? Anyway, Brian Lilly wrote a piece in the Toronto Sun suggesting that this was totally unacceptable and, and, and that public figures must be left alone in their homes and in, in public places in this way, that this is not a journalist and, and it's uncivilized and so forth. It, really? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that with uh, Lou Skesis during our News Not in the News segment, which uh, happens in the second hour. Hey, remember that plot? to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer last, it was last year, right? 2020. And it was supposedly foiled by the FBI and then it was blamed on alt-right domestic terrorists. Remember that? Well, not so fast. It's starting to look like 
that plot was actually hatched by the FBI. And uh, this is coming from BuzzFeed, not uh, exactly, you know, a right wing news organization, pretty left of center. Now, this is not Alex Jones saying this. This is BuzzFeed. So, again, the FBI likely at least assisted in the, uh, the plot to kidnap the governor and then, of course, to blame it on patriots or the alt-right or whatever they're being called these days. I'll, uh, I'll be discussing that story during today's episode of Fact Check This, also in the second hour. And then in our feature slot, uh, Bruce Linton is one of the principals behind a uh, psychedelics business called MindMed. Bruce Linton, of course, the former chair and CEO of Canopy Growth Corporation. So he's gone from marijuana to psychedelics. And um, MindMed's stated mission, if you will, is to solve the growing incidence of mental health issues through clinical trials of psychedelics, psychedelic-inspired medicines and uh, therapies. And speaking of psychedelic. You know, uh, Lou, you were whole, you were part of that whole summer of love, LSD, the Monterey Pop Festival, hanging out with Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, right? Well, that was I your... knew of those, but I wasn't part <laughs> of it. I'm a child of the 70s. Ah. The just say yes generation. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm just trying to picture you like in a tie dye T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did Don't you have long popular. hair? Did you have I long hair? Did. I really? did. Really? I did in the day. I have to see that picture. Yeah, I bought all of them and destroyed all of them. Although, <laughs> you, you know, it, given my balding pate, all I can say is live it up while you got it, baby. Did you have like a mustache? Did you a uh, beard, long hair? Were you traveling around in a VW microbus? No, it was a Ford Pinto. Right. And we went uh, all around the United States, Stu Pals and I in 73. It was a blast. Wow. I have to you. There must be one picture still in existence of you in long hair. I think I bought them all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get Brandon, my intrepid reporter on that. He's going to start like he's going to start rummaging through garbage cans. We're going to find it. We're going to find it. Yeah. And, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, the psychedelic, uh, the use of psychedelics in mental health. Yes. For God's sakes, every other modality trying to treat people with mental illness has resulted in nothing, right? It's not successful. The Pretty pharmaceutical, much. Yeah, not so much. So why not? Electroshock them? therapy, electroshock therapy, um, a lot of different, you know, medications have, have you know, like not, MDMA, not done a whole lot. Molly, right? The love drug? Right. Like all the ravers that I knew, you know, they always said you felt like you were in love. Well, you know, if you're being tormented in a mental state and you can be, you know, induced to be in the state of love. Right. Right. It's probably better. You may not be as functional. Right. Who knows what it's like to go through? Oh, wow, man. All the time. But, you know, as opposed to self torment and what have you might be an alternative. Certainly worth investigating. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just trying to recover from this. You you said all the ravers that I know. (laughs) Well, I mean, when I first came to Toronto and I was working in TV, all the young characters that were, you know, running the cameras and the sound and all that, you know, they would go to raves and I'd ask them, what's it like? Oh, it's like this and dancing. And what about this stuff, Molly? And they'd say, oh, it's great, man. You feel like you're in love with the whole world. 
I said, sounds great. I'm discovering all these new things about you, Lou. Well, I'm, you know, I'm curious by nature. And if I meet somebody at any age group, right, old, young, very young, very old, whatever, I'm asking questions. I want to know, what do you know that I don't know? Right, oh, right. the Smalley thing is good. Oh, you like the rave. Oh, okay. Why yeah, wouldn't that, I ask that? No, I, I understand. I just, you know, that coupled with the, the revelation about you having like long hair back in the 70s. I just hey, listen, if you wanted a date in the 70s, you had to have the right uniform. That's it. That's you entirely know, correct. Chad, OK, entirely correct. Listen, uh, you just got about a minute here. Yeah. Maybe we'll pick this up on uh, the other when we talk again at five o'clock. But mm-hmm. I have um, I have this we have this wonderful person who lives in our neighborhood here in Old Thornhill. And he has uh, he bought one of these historical homes and he fixed it up and it's beautiful and he's got a white picket fence. And he's he's a, um, a model train enthusiast. He's got oh, these yeah. operating trains and he's got the model, the little and he builds everything himself. He's got little um, like a little miniature village and he's got little miniature people and it's got lights and he's even got an operating like a, an old time Ferris wheel. And, and on, on holidays, he, he brings out Is this a, indoors or outdoors. It's outdoors. It's oh, outdoors. Wow. Well, some some um, ne'er do well uh, across the street from this person called the bylaw officers. And complained about this wonderful person. And he had, oh, he also had a, a cotton, an old time cotton candy machine. He would make it for the kids in the neighborhood. And he started to gather a bit of a crowd. Yeah. And I tell you, it was a highlight of the neighborhood. And sure. it really, you know, this wonderful sense of community. Well, the, the neighbor across the street calls bylaw and they make him take it all down because they're worried that someone might get a little too close to the picket fence to see the train and would impale themselves. Can you believe that? I'd say get a lawyer. Get a lawyer, call the media, give them hell. Exactly. Yeah, right? we may have to do I that. Mean, who wants to live next to Mr. Curmudgeon? Oh, yeah. Just this, this, a little bit of color in the neighborhood, and they have to, of course, stamp it out with the bylaw officers and the well, historical society. Well, I don't society. think there's a bylaw that says you can't have a picket fence. Well, apparently and it was a little no too close. there's no bylaw that says you can't invite people to stand on your property by your fence. Apparently the train was a little too close to the property line. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll pick it up on the other side, Lou. Okay, buddy. Happy capitalism. Happy capitalism. Lou Skeezus played bass in The Grateful Dead. I bet you didn't know that. All right, back with more of The Richard Serrett Show right after this. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. It turns out the lion's share of Canadian pandemic victims were 85 and older, lived in long care homes, had dementia or Alzheimer's and may have been at a high risk of dying over this period, regardless of the pandemic. And uh, this is according according to a uh, federal report from StatsCan. Tom Korski is managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, and he's here with us to tell us more. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. So this uh, report, uh, again, breaking down the um, the age groups, the uh, distribution of deaths by age. What else do we do we know or what else did we learn uh, aside from, I think, something we most of us already knew, and that is that uh, most people who died from this were 85 and older. What else did, what did we learn? Well, the report is very stark, and this is a Statistics Canada report. It's put together by statisticians. This is not a conspiracy theory. And it was submitted to the Commons Human Resources Committee. And it said exactly that. Who was the uh, typical victim of COVID in Canada? These are obviously 
catastrophes for families that suffered loss. And the typical victim was over 85 and had dementia or Alzheimer's. They were in a nursing home. They had heart disease, underlying health problems. That was the typical victim. And yet data show that there were other consequences to actions that flowed from government decisions, not the pandemic, that had other effects, and they're still being measured, and StatsCan says it will use census data. It shows that people under 65 were two, three times likelier to suffer financial hardship, and they were two, three times likelier to suffer emotional distress, anxiety, and what StatsCan said appeared to be almost post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, what was the problem, Richard? Why didn't they just send nursing homes, masks, gloves, and medical gowns? Because the public health agency didn't have them. It was their job to stock that, and they didn't stockpile it. And so there was done, and there was a panic. They didn't do their job, so two million people lost their jobs. That's what happened. When you have a pandemic, and the victims are mostly people who surpassed the average life expectancy in the country by four years, because the average life expectancy in Canada is 81. Most of the victims of COVID were over the or were 85 and over, and that's considered a pandemic. Um, so, what happens now with this report? I mean. Uh, is there going to be any any push for some sort of, um, uh, you know, public hearings? You know, how was this handled? How can we do better the next time? A parliament's in summer recess now. They go all the way past Labor Day. But this was a testimony that was in data that was summoned by the Commons Committee for hearings, specifically on the impact of the pandemic on seniors. But it does beg the question, and if they proceed to hearings, if there's not an election, if, 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 these are questions that I can assure you members will ask. Then why in God's name did they close elementary schools? What was that about? If the typical victim had Alzheimer's, was in a nursing home, and was over age 85, and according to StatsCan, quote unquote, these people were at higher risk of death regardless of whether COVID ever happened, then why did 10 times as many small businesses fail? There's a quarter million families. They know that small business owners have testified, Richard. They will spend seven years crawling out from under the debts they owe. What about the two million people who lost jobs? It all goes back to the lack of preparedness, the demonstrable incompetence by the public health agency. We see this in internal records. If uh, All of this should emerge if there's ever a judicial inquiry. And how could they avoid one when you see data like this, Richard? Did Stats Canada look at excess deaths in other age groups, uh, let's say for people under 40? Excess deaths. Yeah. What they did, did, and it's completely, it's completely insignificant. The uh, nine out of 10 victims were over 65. Of those, the vast majority were over 85. Now, I'm not anticipating your question, but it does beg the question, doesn't it, Richard? Then why would you close gyms for people under 30? Why would you close restaurants? Why did they shut down the schools and universities? What was the problem? Well, the problem was nobody could wear a mask. And they didn't have a mask because the public health agency established by Parliament in 2004 as a pandemic preparedness agency 
and fully funded last year at $675 million. Didn't know what it was doing. They had one job. They had one job. Uh, Tom, we'll uh, take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Tom Korski, Managing Editor, Black Locks Reporter. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Welcome back. We're looking at this new federal report, StatsCan report, on the distribution of COVID deaths by age group in Canada. Not surprisingly, it found that most victims of COVID or people who died with COVID, not necessarily from COVID, were 85 or older and had multiple comorbidities and were at high risk of dying during that uh, that uh, period, regardless uh, of the pandemic. Uh, Tom Korski is the managing editor at Black Locks Reporter. Now, I know that the, the, um, the, the, the report said that the effect or the impact on uh, business failures, school closures, younger Canadians, that remains unknown. Uh, but but w- are they trying to gather data uh, to talk about the sort of the collateral damage? They are indeed, uh, and, and they must, and they're using census data. If This is unfortunate, but if nothing else, timely. Census, census was just uh, completed in May, and it'll take years to compile the data, typically two years. But StatsCan said in this report to members of parliament that they will attempt to get answers to those questions. This was the point, uh, Richard, and, and the Department of Health, in fact, was asked about this at one committee hearing last November. What, if you want to be crude, call, call it a cost-benefit analysis, but let's just say you look at both sides of the ledger. What analysis was done by the government of Canada to justify the quarantines, allowing the lockdowns, the incompetence in distributing medical supplies, the loss of two million jobs, the record deficits versus what we see were deaths in nursing homes that StatsCan says were likely at greater risk anyway? Who made that determination? And you know what the answer was? They didn't have one. They didn't do the analysis. That's a definition of official panic. And we will be paying the price for a long, long time, financially, socially, economically. No small business will ever get a bank loan again for years, I can assure you. that they're Forget about credit. And that's where we are. I've spoken with at least three economists who have either uh, conducted cost-benefit analysis uh, for these lockdowns or have sort of done summaries of other sort of a a, a, um, meta-analysis of other cost-benefit studies. And not one, not a single study, not a single uh, cost-benefit analysis has shown any benefit to the lockdown. Uh, I mean, and the costs, of course, are, are practically incalculable. Uh, so it seems like a, a total dereliction of duty for a government not to conduct such an analysis before they embark on, on uh, uh, such a policy. Disastrous. Disastrous. And now we hear the uh, excuse, the mythology is no one saw this pandemic coming. Pandemics are really, really hard 
nobody's perfect. I'll, I'll tell you, two days ago there was a report by a cabinet advisory panel that looked at the public health agency's early pandemic warning system. Why did it fail? It failed so spectacularly. Cabinet's own advisors say it ought to be privatized. You don't hear that every day in this town. You, their pandemic early warning system was a staff of 12 people sitting around in an office compiling newspaper clippings. None of them had any technical expertise and they didn't spot it. I'll tell you a pandemic story, Richard. I'll keep it short. There was an MP from Langley, B.C., Van Popta. He shows up in committee one day. He says, I knew about the pandemic January 25th, 2020. Are you kidding me, MPs say? This is two months before Cabinet invokes the Quarantine Act. How did you know? We checked out his story. It's 100% true and on the level. Van Popta says, in my town, Langley, B.C., the Community Association for the Chinese Canadian Club has an annual fundraiser and banquet for the local hospital board to help sick kids in Langley. Hours before their 2020 banquet and charity fundraiser, they canceled it. They'd sold a thousand tickets. They were asked why. These are people from the old country, and they knew how to read between the lines of a Communist Party news release from Wuhan, China. They said there's something going on. We love our town. We don't want people to get hurt. There's something going on in Wuhan. We can't do this. We had to cancel and we'll eat the cost. So, Richard, why do we have 12 people in Ottawa and in the Pandemic Preparedness Office clipping newspapers? Why do we have a public health agency with a two-thirds of a billion-dollar budget? Why didn't we just hire the Langley, B.C. Mahjong Club to give us an early warning? We would have been better off. Well, you would also think that Bill Gates and company that had Event 201 in New York in October of 2019 saying we are preparing for a pandemic. It's coming. It will be COVID. You think that might have been a clue, too? Lots of clues, but you have to be in the business of looking for clues. Parliament thought they did their job when they assigned this to the public health agency, which has now gone through two presidents. It has gone through multiple internal and public audits, which have pointed out what is clear incompetence and some MPs have suggested criminal liability. It's not good, Richard. It's not good. It's a confederacy of dunces, Tom. It's embarrassing. Uh, Embarrassing. uh, uh, I there has to be an inquiry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tom, thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Tom Korski, managing editor, Black Locks reporter. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. 
All right. Uh, when we come back, we push back against climate change alarmism every Wednesday with Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. We'll talk about these catastrophic floods uh, that struck Europe recently, particularly Germany, Belgium, costing over 200 lives to date. Uh, we're being told now by the alarmists that these floods could become much more frequent as a result of global heating. Really? Is that true? Tony is standing by to uh, to tell us. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show right after these. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. So researchers say catastrophic floods could hit Europe All right, let's try that again. Catastrophic floods could hit Europe more often, according to researchers. Slow-moving storms, such as recent delu- the recent deluge in Germany that caused massive flooding, could become 14 times more frequent by 2100. Tony Heller is the founder of RealClimateScience.com. You can see his videos on YouTube. Tony Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. Tony, how are you? Welcome. I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Very well. Thank you. So obviously, you know, these were horrible uh, floods in uh, Germany, uh, Belgium, causing uh, something like 200 deaths to date. Uh, but why are researchers saying that this is just a preview of, of far worse things to come? They're saying 14 times as, uh, as many uh, storms like this and floods by the year 2100. Where do they get this idea from? I think they just make it up. That article you sent me was from The Guardian, right? Yes. Like 15 years ago, 15 years ago, The Guardian said that Europe was going to have a Siberian climate by the year 2020. <laughs> and, wow. And, wow. In two, and in 2012, The Guardian said, Britain is in a permanent drought. And like four weeks later, Britain was flooded. I, I could I could write a book of all of the per, ridiculous predictions which the Arctic has made, including one from 1974, where they predicted a new ice age was coming really soon. So uh, I, have, I have a long history with the Guardian. Um, yeah, actually a legacy. My my mother started this. Um, almost 50 years ago, <laughs> um, but responding to nonsense with. But no, there, there's no science behind this, right? It's just, it sounds scary. You know, they could just make some sort of computer model, which can come up with anything they want. But the, the reality is that Europe has a long history of flooding. I'm reading an article, just looking at an article in the newspaper right now from 1883 about, um, here's, I'll just read the headlines to you. It's from the St. Paul Globe, January 8th, 1883. New York liberality relief for sufferers from the floods in Germany. The Germans of the city are moving promptly to raise relief for the sufferers of the terrible floods in Germany. I mean, you can find stuff like, you know, many, many articles like this. Um, in 1953, you know, there was terrible flooding along the North Sea, which killed thousands of people um, in countries all around the North Sea, the worst floods in British history and Netherlands. 
you know, up around the North Theater. So uh, these claims are nonsense. You know, they're, they're not based on any science. And, and if you want to go back and look at some really bad floods, like right now, in 90 years ago, 1931, they were having terrible floods in China. 50,000 square miles was flooded. Three million people died in those floods during July and August 1931 in China. Um, and 40 million people were homeless. It, it, it was one of the greatest disasters in world history. That was 90 years ago, um, right now. So... Um, you know, people, they, these, all the climate alarmists want people to believe that floods are getting worse, but it's not true. And if you go to Wikipedia and look up the list of the, all the world's worst floods, almost every single one of them occurred more than 50 or 60 years ago. But Tony, they're back. suggesting they're suggesting that as the atmosphere heats up, it can it can hold more moisture, which I guess makes sense on a certain level. Warm air holds, obviously, more moisture. And so that's what's behind their reasoning that as the atmosphere continues to warm up, it's going to hold more moisture. And then these slow moving storms will dump more precipitation, uh, causing greater and greater floods. Does that make any sense? Um, well, uh, well, I'm going to give you an example. Okay. Do you know what the second wettest state in the United States is? I, I know there were 19, 1927, 27. No, no, not not year. The state, the wettest state in the United States is Florida. What, what would you guess the second wettest state is? It, it's Alaska. Is the is the second wettest state in the country? It's also the coldest state. The the dynamics of precipitation are much more. Saying it holds more moisture. I mean, you, you can get um, Seattle. You know, the British Columbia is very humid climate, right? And, it, and they're having a terrible drought there now. Just because there's a lot of moisture in the air doesn't mean that it's raining. And Arizona is being flooded right now. Arizona is one of the driest states in the country, and they're having terrible floods. See, you can't – these sort of statements, there's more moisture in the atmosphere, you're going to get more rain, simply aren't true. There's, there's places like uh, along the Pacific coast in South America, in Chile – which are very humid all the time, and they almost never get any rain. The Atacama Desert in Chile is very extremely humid, and they get almost no rain. So those kinds of statements are meaningless. So what causes precipitation is when you have this difference between in temperature between humid air and and colder and colder air which interacts with it which is why alaska gets so much right it's not there's, it's there's not that much moisture in the air in alaska but it interacts with cold air and the difference in temperature causes the water to precipitate out okay we've so got a quick tony we'll take a quick time out yeah. we'll come back uh, pick up on that again also i want to talk about bjorn lornberg uh, environmentalist who's saying who says that uh, global warming actually saves about 100,000 people every year. Can't wait to get into that. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com, right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Back with more in a moment. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Hey, Richard Serrett here, along with the wilderness doc, Cass Ingram. I keep hearing about how black seed oil is good for so many things, Cass. Tell me more. 
It's huge for the heart and also the digestion and elimination. Plus, the skin was Nefertiti's beauty secret. So then if you have skin conditions, use the black seed oil topically and internally. And for your heart, lungs, kidneys, digestive system, wonderful capsules are available with fennel and cumin. Check your local health food store or the oil. Just take a teaspoon every day. This is a safe thing to take daily so you don't get sick, so you keep your heart good and you stay strong in your digestive tract, skin, renal support, and more. Freshly cold pressed black seed oil from North American Urban Spice available at fine health food stores across the GTA. Order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. 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 Cold pressed black seed oil from oregano.com. We are back with Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com. Every Wednesday, we push back against climate change alarmism. Uh, interesting piece in the Financial Post, uh, Bjorn, uh, Bjorn Lomborg, who I believe is a Swedish or Danish uh, environmentalist. He's kind of a uh, takes a more rational approach, I think, to uh, environmentalism. He he happens to believe that that uh, man-made climate change is is real, but may probably differ with many of his colleagues in terms of, you know, how bad and uh, it, it'll get. Uh, I don't think he he believes this is going to be catastrophic. However, he points out that uh, global warming actually reduces more deaths than it causes. He says it saves possibly one hundred thousand lives. Per year, that's pretty remarkable, Tony. Well, Bjorn's a good guy, and I appreciate what he's trying to do. Um, I don't find his thesis in this article to be very credible. Um, the, the reality is that the vast majority of people in North America and in Europe live in climates where they couldn't survive without climate control in their house. Or, or in their place of work. It's either too hot in the summer or it's too cold. It's too hot in the summer. Tens of millions of people moved to the Gulf Coast and to Arizona um, over the past few decades to climates where they couldn't possibly live without air conditioning. And people live in Canada and, and where I live in Wyoming. It would be impossible to live here without heating without natural gas and other fossil fuels. So we're all very we're all very dependent on fossil fuels and if the fossil fuels got cut off, people a lot of people would die very quickly, like we saw in Texas in February. They had a bad cold snap. Um, the the wind turbines froze up, the wind wasn't blowing anyway. Their gas pipe some of their gas pipelines froze up and they didn't have enough natural gas to keep people warm. And a lot of people froze to death. And this can happen very quickly in just a few hours. So we're all very dependent on fossil fuels to keep us alive in the summer and in the winter and actually all year round because fossil fuels are how our food is distributed and our electricity and our communications and how we get drive around in our cars to get to the store. So it's really it's really fossil fuels is what our, our day-to-day survival is based on. So Bjorn Lomberg can play little games like that. But the reality is that we, we do live in very inhospitable climates. We always have. In the past, people would stay alive by burning wood, but that's not really an option for most people anymore. And now we're completely dependent on fossil fuels, which climate alarmists want to cut off. And if they were successful in doing that, it would be a genocide. There would be massive death, and it would happen very quickly. 
Right. The, the figure he cites in this uh, article is almost 1.7 million people die from the cold every year. 1.7 million people die from the cold. That's that's uh, unimaginable. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, yeah, I mean, energy prices are skyrocketing. You have elderly people on a fixed income and poor people. It's going to be harder and harder for them to heat their homes in the winter. You know, poor people are going to have to choose between heating their home or feeding. Um, Oil prices have doubled since the election. And they're just going to keep going up because Biden's shutting down all the pipeline projects. Um, and he's banned new exploration on federal lands. The prices are going to keep going up. More people are going to die from the cold. Poor people are the, hit the hardest. High energy prices are the most regressive tax of all because it hits the poor and middle class. It doesn't affect rich people, right? They can afford to pay more money for their private jet fuel and their private jets. But poor people who need to get to work or need to keep their house warm, they're the ones who are going to suffer from them. So they, oh, yeah, we're, we're, they they tend to emphasize the the deaths from heat, uh, and yet they they totally underplay deaths from cold. People freezing to death, and it's it's uh, as I say, one point seven million. And um, so they uh, they don't want us to heat our homes with with natural gas, or or they don't want us to burn wood. We don't want wood burning stoves. They don't want nuclear. Uh, how do they what do they expect to happen? Do they, they actually think that we're going to heat our homes in in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in the in the dead of winter with a solar panel? Yeah, that's that's where there's no sun and the solar panels covered with snow and ice. Right. It's not going to work. You know, the reality is that a lot fewer people die in heat waves than did in the past. During the summer of 1911, Thousands of people died from the heat in New England. And just in Paris, 40,000 people died from the heat in Paris during the summer of 1911. They're terrible. In, in 1896, 1,500 people died from the heat in New York City. In 1901, uh, hundreds of people died from the heat in New York City. Um, in 1936, tens of thousands of people in the United States and Canada died from the heat. That was the worst heat waves on record. So, and the reason that we have fewer deaths now is because there's more access to air conditioning. A lot more people have air conditioning, have a, set, a reliable supply of electricity coming from fossil fuels. But when they cut that off and people are dependent on wind, 
which doesn't blow during the coldest and hottest days, or solar panels, which are, don't work at night, they don't work on cloudy days, they barely work in the winter, we're going to see a large increase in the number of deaths from both heat and cold. So they're, they're, they're playing a very dangerous game with this. And I don't, you know, conspiracy theorists might think maybe they're doing this on purpose. <laughs> maybe that's right, part of a deep, deep depopulation, right? Well, listen, there are there is a large contingent within the radical environmental movement that that thinks humans are a cancer on this planet i i think i think you might there may be a kernel of truth to that well you know um a few years ago bloomberg ran a, a letter it was signed by ten thousand scientists saying that earth needs to draft we need to drastically reduce earth's population and bill gates has been saying this you know lots of globalists are saying this is way too many people on the earth so when they come up with plans which are ultimately going to cause lots of people to die for, from the heat or the cold, it's not a real big stretch to think this is being done on purpose. Tony, thank you as always for your time. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Good talking to you. Tony Heller, and the website is realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com. Also, check out his uh, fabulous videos on YouTube, Tony Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. All right, hour two awaits. News not in the news with Lou. Some fact check this. We'll talk about the uh, the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and the FBI's role in that as well. We'll speak with Bruce Linton, uh, one of the principals behind Mind Meds, which uh, basically looks at uh, the use of psychedelics to treat mental illness. That all is up and coming on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back to uh, Hour 2. In the uh, fact-check this portion of today's program, we'll talk about that plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. This happened last year, and the FBI supposedly foiled this plot. Well, it turns out the FBI may, in fact, have hatched this plot. Uh, Also... Uh, Bruce Linton is one of the principals behind MindMed, and they conduct uh, clinical trials uh, researching, developing uh, a brand range of psychedelic compounds with the goal of unlocking new pathways for patients to experience sustained mental healing. Psychedelics, LSD experimental therapy, for example, Um, LSD microdosing. We'll get into all of that with Bruce Linton. News, not in the news. All right, my psychedelic friend, Louis Skeezus, how are you? Oh, Louis just checking in. There he is. He's busy. Uh, he's busy making a tie dye t shirt. That's right, man, because they're cool. <laughs> Groovy. You're the man. All right. Uh, yeah, so I was talking earlier about this, uh, this neighbor that I have here in Old Thornhill Village. Beautiful historical property. He uh, he's very handy. He he did a lot of the work himself, I think. And then he's got this miniature train. Actually, he has several versions. He's got an electric train. It runs 
like on top of the picket fence and around his property and people will gather there and watch it. It's just, it's, it's such a, a, a joyful thing to behold. And then on certain holidays, he'll festoon the property with balloons and he'll make cotton candy for the kids. And then on, on certain weekends, he'll have a steam train, an actual working model steam train. Uh, he's got little miniature villages. He builds everything himself. It's just, a, as I say, a joy to the neighborhood. It brings so much uh, pleasure to so many people. And the other day we walked past and everything's been taken down because the neighbor across the street complained about the, uh, the, the, the crowds uh, gathering there. There's no crowds. There may be, at most, I've seen maybe five, six, seven people at a time. Uh, they, he called in the bylaw officers. I think the Historical Society even came out. And, um, you know, measured how close the uh, the train was to the property line. He had to take it down. They were they were afraid that 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 uh, people might gather too close to the picket fence and impale themselves. And so all this joy gone, all of it, you know, taken down. It's terrible. Well, you know, I I think I mentioned earlier uh, on your show that in the 70s, right, when we got a really stupid idea like that, our common refrain was, give me dope. Give me dope. <laughs> right. Give me dope, for goodness sakes. I exactly. Gotta be, I got to be totally whacked to even address that issue, right? Yeah, what is wrong with people? Why, you know, why do they need to stamp out everyone's good time? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know how to address it, but I would go, you know, measure for countermeasure. So, oh, you want me to, I'm going to be calling the bylaw guys on you for every twig out of place, right? Exactly, exactly. You, know, you want that kind of relationship, you know, eventually you got to decide, do I want to move? Or alternatively, I would go and see this guy and say, why don't we go rent a place and then we could charge people to come in and we can have all the right permits in place and you can make a business out of it. And, you know, you can buy that pricks, uh, you know, lot when he dies, because, you know, you're going to be hoping he <laughs> dies soon. Right. At that point. Oh, man. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's very disappointing and discouraging that, you know, that, that, that these types of people exist, first of all. And, uh, you know, to 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 ruin a wonderful highlight, really, uh, it's when we go for a walk every morning, the mighty Aphrodite and I, we can't wait to walk by and see what this wonderful uh, young man who's just brought home a new baby. You know, what has he thought up this week? You know, one week it was a little a little miniature carnival right beside the train with an operating Ferris wheel. And, and uh, you know, he'll sit and talk to everybody that comes by just a, a wonderful addition to the neighborhood. And uh, now it's just been destroyed by some petty bureaucrat minded type individual. So let me ask you this, uh, other than your show on the mighty saga 960, do you think it's going to get covered by anybody else in the media? Probably not. I think maybe I should bring him on the program. What do you I think? I think you should. And I think you should look at some outlets like community newspapers, um, you know, some fellow travelers like Sue Ann Levy. That's a great idea. That's you know or, I mean? or our, our, the Menzoid. The Menzoid. The Menzoid. You know, just let them know. It's like, you know, here's a travesty of bureaucracy. That's wonderful. That's a great idea. I think I'm going to get the I'm going to enlist uh, David Menzies from Rebel News on this one. This is a perfect story for him. Do you think perfect. he'll get arrested? 
The odds are he'll get shoved around by a, some some bylaw officer. They just I don't know. What is it about the David Menzies? They just it's like an invitation to, like, shove him around. and Well, because he's in the face of the covid uh, Gestapo. I guess that's it. That's it. All right. No relation here, but it's time for the German word of the day. <laughs> All right. Bring it on. We're not making any connections here. Oompa. All right. The German word of the day, Jody, if you please. All right. Here we go. I've been practicing this one for a couple of hours. The German word of the day is Stardenburden Hardenbart. Stardenburden Hardenbart. Well, you know, for German, it actually has almost a rhyme to it. It does. It's like the German Dr. Seuss. Darden, Burden, Hardenbart. It has many versions, but this one can mean a lot of things. For example, it can mean, I love you. It can mean, hey, look at me. It can mean, come here. It's uh, it used to get the uh, the it's, it's also used to get the attention of animals. So you know the dog's not paying attention; he's running around. You say Stardenburden Hardenbart. What about pigs? How does it work with pigs? Uh, oh, the Germans love their pigs. Yes, <laughs> uh, I'm sure it would work there. It works because it's funny and has a really interesting pronunciation. So again, Stardenburden Hardenbart can mean I love you. It can mean Hey, look at me. It can mean Come here. Okay, say it. Quickly, seven times. Starten, burden, harden, bart. Starten, harden, barden, hard. Starten, barden, harden, bart. Starten, burden, harden, bart. That's enough. <laughs> That's do a good I, I like it. Do I win the prize? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You are the prize, baby. Uh, I, I was mentioning John, John Tory, uh, Mayor John Tory, uh, sitting outside uh, having dinner at a Yorkville restaurant and Someone sort of some self-proclaimed citizens journalist goes after him. He's got the phone camera and he starts, you know, rattling off these questions and and being a little aggressive, not physically aggressive, just saying, how can you sit there and enjoy yourself and sleep at night knowing you've destroyed businesses? And, you know, the drill. Brian Lilly in the Toronto Sun responds that this is totally unacceptable that this guy was not a journalist. He's simply a, a lout. This is uncivilized. And we have to allow public officials to have private lives. What, what are your thoughts? I disagree. I think that, uh, you know, vox populi, right? Here's somebody, a voter, maybe representing more than just himself, speaking truth to power, telling him, you know, where to get off. You've ruined our lives. I, I'm holding you accountable. Oh, you're trying to have a nice dinner here in Yorkville? Too bad. Yeah, well, I, I, I think as a public figure myself, to some degree, not right. like the mayor, but, you know, I've been, you know, confronted by people in public places. Right. I agree. It, it's where I draw the line is at their home. You don't you don't go to their house. You don't pound on their door. Well, the bylaw people come to my door. They send their agents. That's that. Yeah, that's it's not quite the same. But I draw the line at, at uh, the, the person's property. But remember, uh, U.S. Congresswoman Maxine Waters was telling yes. was telling uh, the, the woke mob to get up and get in the face of Republicans wherever you may find them at a restaurant, at a gas station, uh, except a lot of them were taking it to heart and they were getting a little more aggressive. And in fact, there was a, uh, a, a U.S. Republican congressman who was shot during a baseball practice, right, right? by a by a Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders supporter and not to blame Bernie Sanders. But so, you know, that's that's where you draw the line when they start getting obviously when they get physical, when they become like a lynch mob. Um, but 
but to, as you say, you know, to accost them in 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 public, verbally. in a public place, verbally, verbally. Yes, that is totally acceptable. That is totally acceptable. I agree. All yeah, right. So, yeah, I'm in favor. Go ahead. Tell them what you think. Vox Populi. Exactly. Particularly in this case where where their policies have inflicted so much damage. Absolutely. All right. Uh, there's a, uh, a gym in Etobicoke. You know, we're hearing about all of these businesses now uh, that are not going to accept people unless they can show proof of vaccination. So retail places, restaurants, they're just taking this upon themselves. This is in, in lieu of any provincial vaccine passport. Uh, and now we're hearing about this gym. We're trying to get the, um, the owners on in Etobicoke. They're banning vaccinated people. What do you think about that? I think that's earned media. That's called uh, newsjacking. As far as I'm concerned, not that I don't think that they're thinking that they're doing some good or whatever, but I'm saying, you know, as a uh, relentless promoter myself, I always advise if you can inject yourself into the news stream, you become the news. He has become the news. And, you know, what his valid points may or may not be, the fact is his earned media is going to go through the roof. You might be right about that. Yeah, this is uh, it's called the Fearless Boxing Club. They're in South Etobicoke. They're barring the vaccinated from joining. And uh, the, the gym co-founder, Mohammed Abedin, says that for the safety of our members, the Fearless Boxing Club will no longer be accepting those who receive the experimental COVID vaccine. He says our current members, including doctors, nurses, teachers, parents and many youth feel safer waiting until more research is done on the side effects of being dis uh, discovered right now. He added that the uh, hashtag just say no to his post, which asked people who have received the COVID-19 vaccine to please keep your distance from organic people for at least 28 days. Well, there's some uh, you know, research to suggest that people that have been vaccinated where may did shed. You, where did you find the lead as to the boxing club? Was it in newspaper? Uh, yes. Other sources well, our, our good friends at True North. Okay. So it's starting the earned media cycle for the club. You're right. You're right. It is. It's, it's probably going to serve that purpose. No question. No question. <laughs> Not to be, you know, cynical. You? You cynical? Never. Never. <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, what's, what's on the, uh, the, 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 the agenda for tonight? Well, more work, right? Madeline and Linda are in Calgary today, coming back tomorrow. And so that means that I am uh, fully responsible for the care and feeding of Sebastian. Plus, I'm using the opportunity to, you know, get to some tasks that I've been putting off, right? So it's very quiet. There's nobody around to interact with except for you, right? Um, so, you know, I was cleaning out the garage today. I was uh, doing some lawn care. Right. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. Busy, busy. And I've got a plan for tomorrow because I pick them up at the airport at 830. So. Right. And you're going to have supper on the table and the whole well, deal? No, no. 830. They're not going to be hungry. Yeah, no, I'll only... go to the grocery store to make sure they have something they want for, uh, I guess it would be Friday morning. There you go. All right. So domesticated. Hey. <laughs> All right, Lou. Until tomorrow, my friend. All right. Love you, baby. Talk. Love you, baby. That's Kojak.
Kojak, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Kojak said, who loves you, baby? Oh, excuse me. (laughs) My cultural faux pas there. (laughs) All right. When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer that the FBI foiled. Mm, No, not so fast. Back with more in a minute. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. determine what is true what is false and what is misleading fact check this hey welcome back so we remember a while back when it was uh in the news that the fbi had foiled this ring of would-be kidnappers they were looking to kidnap michigan governor gretchen whitmer and this was during the height of the COVID 19 lockdown and uh, buzzfeed news has just published a um, kind of an expose, I guess, on this whole incident. And remember, BuzzFeed is uh, they're left wing, right? This is not some conservative news outlet or, or Alex Jones. This is BuzzFeed. And the conclusion from the BuzzFeed story is. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. An examination of the case reveals that some of those informants acting under the direction of the FBI played a large, a far larger role than has previously been reported. Working in secret, they did more than just passively observe and report on the actions of the suspects. Instead, they had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. The extent of their involvement raises questions as to whether there would have been a conspiracy without them. So the FBI had informants in the group. They were taking orders from the FBI. It turns out uh, that, again, under the direction of the FBI, these informants encouraged the, the illegal actions. And according to the BuzzFeed investigation, the FBI, quote, had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. That's correct. You heard that correct. The FBI and their informants or infiltrators were key figures in hatching the plot that led to the arrest of more than a dozen men who were supposedly radical right-wing terrorists. And then BuzzFeed goes on uh, to, to raise this very serious issue. The extent of their involvement raises questions as to whether there would have been a conspiracy at all. In other words, there wouldn't have been a plot to kidnap the governor without the FBI. So this, uh, this entire plot that made national news about a band of right-wing militia members kidnapping the governor of a state, it turns out, may have been orchestrated by the FBI from the very beginning. A longtime government informer 
uh, informant from Wisconsin, for example, helped organize a series of meetings around the country where many of the alleged plotters first met one another and the earliest notions of a plan took root. The Wisconsin informant even paid for some hotel rooms and food in an incentive to get people to come. So again, an FBI informant went out of his way to try to bring together some of these nutcases from around the country. Excuse me, putting them together in the same place, planting the idea of kidnapping in their head. Unbelievable. Now, the next thing we need to investigate is to what extent the FBI was involved in the supposed January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill. Wait for it. It'll come out. All right. When we come back, one of the principles behind MindMed, which claims to be the world's first publicly traded psychedelic pharmaceutical company. That conversation with Bruce Linton starts in three minutes. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. There is a growing mountain of evidence to suggest that microdosing with psychedelic drugs like psilocybin can be used to treat conditions such as alcoholism, opioid addiction, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. Canadian business tycoon Bruce Linton is an early investor in MindMed and a board director. Hey, Bruce, welcome. Thanks for uh, joining me. Happy to be here. So, um, first of all, straight out of the gate, let me ask you about the use of the word uh, psychedelics, because I, I know at one point you were maybe not comfortable with that because it has certain baggage. How do you feel about the use of the word psychedelics now with relation to well, I, I like it maybe in a sentence rather than standalone. And so what I mean by that, like in the case of one of the companies involved with MindMed, we use it uh, in the following way, psychedelics inspired. And, and um, the reason I, I like it in a sentence is um, a lot of the times there's two challenges psychedelics face right now. One is when I say the word, some people who are listening might hear Jimi Hendrix playing a guitar and it's very hard to have a medical conversation with background noise with Hendrix wailing. Right. Um, so why, why burden yourself with unbeneficial luggage of history? Um, the second is it's the hallucinogenic nature of these products, which are called psychedelics, which puts them into a challenging camp with the US FDA as far as regulating them. And so for many of the um, challenges that you listed in the uh, intro, uh, so for example, like opioid addiction, one of the things we're working on is to take what was a plant that created a psychedelic effect um, called ibogaine, plant that grows in Africa, and people might be shuttled off to a retreat if they're wealthy and their kid or they are addicted to opioids, and they might use ibogaine as a, a way to try and get them off. It makes them really not like opioids, but it has two downsides. One, it is apparently a terrible hallucinogenic trip. And the second is it can create cardiac failure. So like, good, we've gotten you off of opioids, but we gave you a heart attack isn't terrific. And so what the inspired means is they take that capability and try and engineer out the heart attack part and try to engineer out the hallucinogenic part and then test and see if you can get the same result of diminishing or extinguishing the craving for opioids. So I like it. I like it in that context of that sentence. Right. You need the context. That's absolutely essential. Um, so explain, if you could, in layman's terms, microdosing. 
Yeah. So the the idea is, and, and you can do it with a diversity of things. You mentioned it with psilocybin, which comes from magic mushrooms. Some people observe uh, patterns of benefit with LSD and others. So what it is is to provide a small quantity, a micro quantity, so that what you may be getting is the therapeutic response, the triggered action, but without causing the hallucinogenic or the psychoactive high. And so it's kind of this notion of small sips, if you will, to see if you get a capacity. And sometimes these are used, or often, these may be used in sort of a combination environment, meaning um, perhaps give the person some micro or not as micro dosage concurrent with um, a, you know, a session, a psychoactive, uh, like a, if you want to call it, please lay on the couch and let's talk this through. And, and the thought is, and the experience has been, that people might be much more open and willing to accept uh, unloading their thoughts and reloading with new ones. Right, right. Um, in another lifetime, I worked at the CBC and I, I was doing a radio documentary. I went down to UCLA and I interviewed a, a doctor that was uh, involved in trials using, I believe it was a synthetic uh, form of psilocybin to alleviate end-of-life anxiety. Is yeah. that um, uh, something that you, you foresee uh, you know, it, it being used for? Yeah, I, I think there's a diversity of uses. And I, you know, I want to make sure I'm clear with you and with whoever is listening that um, I'm not here to peddle any of these things, right? I, my, my, when I started in the, another space, THC, cannabis, and that sort of thing, I didn't really wish that anybody would buy or not buy the products. What I simply wanted them to do was think about them without necessarily prejudice and ask what science would do. So your trip to UCLA was really trying to do science to say, um, how can we help someone exit life where they're enjoying the days rather than suffering or anxious? And uh, in Canada, uh, reasonably recently in the last year or so, uh, there was a court case which said that because we have certain structures in Canada, that if there's medical benefit and there's scientific proof of medical benefit, you can't withhold medicines that do provide that benefit from Canadian citizens. Kind of a good rule, right? Like, we, the government, can't decide if there's science that says this will help you. You just can't have it. And so on that basis, and with some of the indications, including acute anxiety, there are now legally existing patients for psilocybin, magic mushrooms, in Canada. And that's very similar to how cannabis started in 2001, um, where it wasn't somebody who politically said, I think this is a terrific idea. That did not occur for a long time. It was that there was enough peer-reviewed, well-provided papers that showed benefit and was not deemed reasonable to withhold us from a citizen. Bruce, I got to jump in and uh, take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss Bruce Linton, Mind Med, right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. Continuing with the conversation, this is The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Bruce Linton is with us, Canadian business tycoon and a director at MindMed, which um, went public, was it uh, 2020? Yeah, I hate to be super accurate, but March 3rd, um, 2020. So we've been a publicly traded company for just over a year. And uh, how was the uh, initial IPO, or how was the IPO uh, received? Uh, well, I think initially with a bit of skepticism. You know, people weren't sure, and then the stock kind of 
moved around a little bit. And if, if you were going to try and pick like just the not most awesome time to begin a listing, let's go with March 3rd, 2020, because there's been a couple of events that kind of kicked off right after that. I think it was what March 11th, where we declared exactly. the pandemic and, and the bull market. So um, it's really kind of meh. And then um, it started getting its legs under it. And from June ish to about, you know, call it January, the thing went up like 10x, a thousand percent. And it raised uh, cash. So when when um, you start to have eyes on you and the world was looking, there's another entity out of the UK, which is now about the same value. We raised about uh, $200 million uh, so that our treasury is full, uh, made now one acquisition. And, you know, really trying to recognize this is going to be a longish race with some short windows of indication of success. So let's, let's load up on the cash and think medium term. Uh, let's get back to um, the uh, some of these clinical trials. Where are we with LSD microdosing for adults with uh, attention deficit disorder? Yeah, no, it's, um, so um, the whole notion LSD is an invented item. You know, you got to look across the ocean and think Switzerland. And so um, the company made an acquisition in uh, out of uh, Bern, the University of Bern, which was really kind of ground zero and the ability to do trials or at least prepare to do trials in a lot of countries is much easier than say in Canada or the U S. So the Swiss are a potential spot for that. Um, doing trials for the one I described earlier, uh, for mind med, where we try to think about that derivative of Ibogaine game that doesn't have the bad stuff. That's a, an Australia activity. And it, so it's one of these things there are jurisdictions where you pick because there's, there's a big difference in rules around the planet on what you can do. There's not as big a difference in the people who live in those countries. And so you want to get is the data set and bring it to America, which is often the way. And so that's kind of the, the path of thinking about, you know, the Swiss. And, you know, if I said to you, tell me a little bit about drug policy in Switzerland, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty open and thoughtful relative to a lot of places. Right. Well, that's where it was discovered initially, right? Right. Right. I think it's kind of one of those funny stories where the, the scientists who discovered it, wasn't sure exactly what he discovered. So when you don't have anybody to test it on, you test it on yourself. Apparently that made for quite an interesting bike ride home for him. Um, but, um, these are, these are patterns where you find that there are many things that have been created or discovered, whether in a lab or a plant, that have an effect on humans, but are not typically associated with the immortality and morbidity that we might see with things like opioids. But for a whole bunch of reasons, they got pushed away. And now as we see big, smart medicine like Oxycontin and things like that in a different light, um, you know, you really, you really start to have these coming to the fore. So it, it was, I think it was, a, you, you um, build MindMed as the first uh, company in this field, in the world. Is that, uh, well, yeah, for sure, me. You know, I think everybody and everything wants to be first. I would say many of these things are almost like a relay race where there have been precursors who did a lot of work. This may be first in that it was listed on a an exchange as a publicly traded company that's in the psychedelic space. I believe we can claim first for that. And what we're trying to do there, that's a maybe there are or others, and, and if people like, like there's one called Compass Pathways, which is a UK-based one, really focused on psilocybin. Um, there are a couple others, but what we've looked at is said, 
why would we not try to attract a variety of scientists with a variety of approaches using a variety of molecules into a variety of potential societal benefit outcomes and then de-risk it for everyone by having some common services that make it easier to focus on science rather than capital raising and things like that. And so we have a bit of a, a platform or an arc, if you will, filled with an increasing number of approaches. And that's pretty unique. You mentioned um, uh, Compass Pathways. There's also, I believe, a Toronto-based uh, company called Field Trip Psychedelics, Inc. Yep. Uh, yep. Do you look at them as as competition, or is it so early in this industry that you kind of maybe even lean on each other a little bit? Yeah, no, that's actually pretty insightful. Um, uh, the competition, for sure, is not amongst the parties that are trying to do what is the less than 1% of the market. It's not even 1% of 1%. So competition is public perception and public policy, really, primarily. And so there's a lot of work going towards that. And, you know, we have another one. In, so the, the one you mentioned, they're running clinics and um, they're using uh, ketamine, I believe, as their primary product so that people go in for therapeutic treatments, meaning you, you're going to actually have a session. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, with a person, but using ketamine as a, a gateway, and this is become almost commonplace across North America, fully uh, regulated and run. Um, there's one, so they're following the rules and delivering value. Um, there's another one I'm involved with that's Toronto-based called Red Light Holland. And it took a, a different approach, but it followed the rules where there are places like the Netherlands where you can provide and sell in stores called Smart Shops. Um, basically, it's mushrooms, but it's the bottom portion of it, so it's called a truffle rather than the mushroom. And people buy them and what the red light guy said is if the rules allow it, let's do it more responsibly and better than anyone. So let's produce the products in a way that's entirely reliable. What's in the package isn't high quantities, but small quantities. And it's the same every time. And so there's, there's a real diversity of who's doing what, but just like cannabis, a lot of people were upset with me saying, you know, how could you be involved in the sale of cannabis? And so I, I didn't invent cannabis. I, I wish I was that smart, but I didn't. And the only thing the government's doing is they've stopped ignoring it. And then when they stop ignoring it, they tax it and they police it and they put some of the money towards education. And the only people on the planet who should be in favor of the government going back to ignoring it probably are criminals or have criminals in their family because ignoring it is not reliable, it's not responsible. And so I think in the case of psychedelics, it's quite similar. All right, Bruce, we're going to take one final time out. Are you good to hang with us for one more segment? Sure, man. Wonderful. Bruce Linton, MindMed, back with more in a moment. 
Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Bruce Linton is here, and uh, we're talking about MindMed, the website, mindmed.co, mindmed.co. Uh, another early investor was uh, Kevin O'Leary, of course, from Dragon's Den, Maine. Yes. Who brought whom to the dance? Uh, so there were some common people that knew both of us. Um, I think I might have signed just before Kevin, but we were both talking and, and, and interested. And I give him a lot of credit. It's a big evolution. Because at the very beginning of the cannabis uh, activities, uh, I was on the program we had back then was the uh, Lang O'Leary uh, show, if you recall. I think um, might have been on CBC back at your alma mater. Um, and uh, he, you know, he was really skeptical and reluctant. And uh, then I actually found that over the years, I talked to him several times, and he really became pretty receptive that we've got to do a better job of managing things so that people might get better outcomes. And so uh, he's been really active. He's actually made sure that people are aware of his involvement. And he has, um, I think, recently even, uh, you know, taken a bigger position. He's just, he's, he's strong with the company. What, what did you learn from the cannabis business that you're now applying to MindMed? Um, following, being sure that you're on the right side of the rules. Like, look in jurisdictions where you can follow the rules, but don't make excuses and operate beside or outside of them. Um, that science-driven outcomes are the durable ones. So, you know, in cannabis, people think, oh, they're just growing something that they can roll into a joint and smoke it. That, that's true. But when you look at a cannabis plant, there are as many as, uh, say, 100 cannabinoids in there. And when people talk about the one that gets you a little bit high, it's THC, and the one that may make you sleep better or be less anxious to CBD, well, that means there's 98 other ones which you're not getting paid for, and you don't know for sure what they do. And so I'm a big fan of robust, deep, true science. And in the cannabis space, you know, people anecdotally will always talk about how they provided brownies to their aunt who was having cancer treatment and it gave her an appetite, which is terrific. The munchies, which we got to dig in to know how that works. But if you can cause someone to be hungry, why could you not cause an appetite to be diminished? Treat obesity. And so these are the sorts of questions that scientists can dig in and that's what really attracted me to the psychedelic space because there's a lot more core science being done. Uh, you, you talked earlier about getting government out of the way of, of psychedelics and, and uh, the, the stigma of the word. What are some of the other obstacles in this space? Um, well, so now you want to be in the research field. Where are you making the products? Where are you actually getting your supply chain of inputs? Do they meet the same standard as all the ingredients that go into other FDA trials? Well, no, because some of the people who make those ingredients are worried about losing their FDA rights. So at each step, whether it's getting ingredients produced so you can put them through preclinical trials, um, you know, those are sort of things that slow you down. Uh, the capital markets, obviously, as I mentioned, have been increasingly supportive. Um, jurisdictions are very uneven. FDA is the big gold standard, and the FDA right now has zero willingness or capability to govern anything with a hallucinogenic effect. So... You know, it does make you have to think a little differently. Um, but each of these are obstacles that when you work your way around them, become advantages. Um, if there were no barriers, you and I would not be chatting because all of this work would have been done. Uh, I don't want to get, you know, involved, you involved in a political discussion, but the, uh, the Senate just approved um, this amendment to, to Bill 7, which will allow people with mm -hmm. mental illnesses to... Uh, partake in, in medically assisted uh, death. 
And uh, I'm, I'm wondering now, given that in, in some of the, the applications for this would obviously be to alleviate maybe some of these things. Do you now feel like you're in a race, a race against time? Well, a little bit, you know, it's, it's a good question because I was commenting um, at the dinner table that we've been able to have a reasonable and vigorous debate, have the courts intervene and talk about the capacity of an individual to make end of life decisions. But if you still said before I got there, I'd really like to try microdosing LSD to see if it assists me. There's no way to get that. And so I just find that it's, without weighing in on where the line should be, I find it very uneven that we have a well-defined process for individuals to choose to end their life and a non-existent path to potentially improve it before that. And so I think everyone who hears this should scratch their head and say, shouldn't we really be having both conversations at a minimum? Right, right. I, I, um, I get the sense, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, you are, sounds like you are fully invested in this. I'm not talking financially. I mean, emotionally, psychologically. I mean, you think, I get the sense you believe that this can really make a difference. Yeah, I, I, and there's not yet evidence to the standard I want for everything. But what I really, really try to always push against is I just don't like institutional bias. You know, like adopting whatever prohibition perceptions that our grandparents may have tried to give to us isn't a really helpful life tool. And so what I find that I'm most interested in is just having uh, people have to stop and think and say, why do I hold that view? And now if I didn't hold that view and it was my brother who was addicted to something anxious and couldn't function, um, had a variety of these disorders, whether it's ADHD or whatever, if there was science and in three years from now, they were able to remedy that. If the remedy came from what was previous prohibition kind of thing, like an LSD or a shroom, do you think you'd say thank you for having your brother back or I'm pissed off that came through that channel? Like really, we just got to turn it into that kind of discussion and perception. Precisely. Um, I see in last month's New York Post, NYU launching a $10 million center for psychedelic medicine in Manhattan. Um, have there been any discussions? So we, uh, we actually have been active with NYU for some time about what to do and how to do it. And they're, they're one of the front leading institutions looking to say, how do we handle this? And so um, all of these, all of the big players are talking to all the big players and there is, there is a lot of work to do. And I think somehow now it's turned into many of the countries and institutions feel they're in a race against other countries and institutions, which is actually good for us as a population versus, you know, well, I'm a little reluctant. Maybe somebody won't give me that big endowment that I'm hoping for. We'll wait another year before we get involved. We're not experiencing that now. Have investors been hard won? Uh, Initially. And then, you know, um, I think there's 25 or 30,000 individuals on a Reddit group that talk about MindMed. So I would say there's an awful lot of retail increasingly the ones you want to win over those really big pools of capital called institutional. And very nicely, they're starting to want to have and are increasingly having conversations about what position they want to take. And that matters because, you know, retail people sometimes buy the stock in the morning and sell it in the afternoon and institutional buy it in March and plan on three years later when they're going to sell it. And so you need to have both. Um, the institution has been slow, but not nearly as slow as they were with cannabis. 
Uh, Bruce, I don't know. This uh, this is very exciting to me. Um, you know, the idea of LXD experiment, experiential therapy and microdosing for adults with attention deficit disorder, perhaps relief from opioid addiction. Um, I, I think you're doing the Lord's work. Thank you so much for uh, for being with us today. Well, thank you for being so open to the topic. Appreciate it. Bruce Linton and MindMed at mindmed.co. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody and Brandon. Back tomorrow at 4 p.m. to do it all over again with the lovable and irascible Lou Skeezus. We'll also speak with conservative MPP Khalid Rashid, the newly minted Associate Minister of Digital Government, and we'll push back against radical gender ideology. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. See you tomorrow at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.